one day I'll get good at this. Hi, I'm Louis Theroux. How are you doing? Nice to be here. Welcome to the Louis Theroux podcast. Today, my guest is the social media sensation and chicken shop date interviewer. Does that sound weird? Amelia de Moldenberg. Many of you, most of you, I think, will have seen Amelia's chicken shop date show on YouTube, in which she interviews very often rap stars, sports people, and also on one occasion, a rather aged TV documentary maker, that being me. And she's someone I was excited to speak to because she sort of represents the new culture, the new media landscape of someone who's created their own brand, their own body of work from the ground up, just by week in, week out for actually 10 years, putting out these amazing episodes. They're light and puckish and fun and slightly tongue-in-cheek, but without being nasty or piss-takey, if I can use that term. This is recorded IRL, as the kids say, in real life, in a studio, not remotely, not in a chicken shop, in case you were wondering. And I think the conversation speaks for itself, flowing freely like a fine glass of diet soda. There's a reference to Andrew Tate, who I think you will know is a controversial masculinity guru, in case that needed explaining. And just to say the episode contains some strong language and some sensitive and upsetting themes. And that's about it. Is that to cover the bases? Oh, and I've got a terrible voice. I was coming off a cold, as I say, so maybe I don't need to say that. Redundancy alert. This is me, Louis. I am just talking to myself. I can see Amelia through the window. One, two, one, two. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Nice How to are see you? you. You too. Little hug. Sorry, uh, hug. I'm sorry about my voice. I sound terrible. I'm coming off a cold. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I just feel sorry for the for the listeners' feedback. Wait, is this recording now? Yeah, of course. Wait, are we recording now? <laughs> it's a soft open. Yeah. Is this live? Are we not live? We're not live. We're not so broadcasting we're recording out. Now. One, two, one, two. I think so. Unless okay, Paul, fine, if Paul's yeah. doing his job. So this is called the soft opening. It's when you just sort of roll into it. When you trick what, the Did guests. you need to get into character? <laughs> yeah, I, I was about to put a different outfit on. <laughs> anyway, by way of just sort of kicking this off, I know that you've done this a million times and it's so boring, but do you want to explain for those sad, benighted souls who aren't familiar with Chicken Shop Date? Yeah, because they've been living under a rock. Because they don't have the internet. Mm. Should I just do a little... Yeah. Well, Chicken Shop Date, which is what the show is called... I would say it's a comedy series as much as it is a interview series where I go on dates to chicken shops with talented individuals, whether you're a pop star, a rapper, a documentary maker. That was me. That I was think. you, yeah. I, was I think that I'm the only documentary, not picking myself up, but was there another documentary maker? Well... Ed Sheeran is going to put a documentary out. Yeah. But that's not really the same. No. I, I don't think that really counts. That's like calling me a musician. Yeah. I on mean, the basis of Jiggle Jiggle. I mean, some people. And would. more of that to come, by the way. But yeah, so that's kind of what Chicken Shop Day is. It's a YouTube series where I date famous men and women. And they're sh always quite short. I remember because when I appeared on it, we taped for it. I would say maybe slightly more than an hour. I'm not complaining. I enjoyed every minute of it. It definitely wasn't. It definitely was 40 minutes. I think minutes. it was about an hour and a half. Because there was a bit of faffing around. Yeah, because you came there on a bike. There were so many people. You know, when I used to interview, and this was for TV, not YouTube, there'd be a camera, sound, a producer, and that was it. Okay, so basically, when I'm filming a chicken shop date, the real story is that there'll be two camera operators, because obviously one camera has to be on me, one camera has to be on the guest. Why can't they swing back and forth? That's not the style. I don't want that style. Someone had has asked me that before. What are you, Cecil B. DeMille? Yeah, I actually take my work pretty seriously, actually. There's two cameras... And then there's a sound operator. I never used to have a sound operator, and it used to be a nightmare. There's a couple of early edit. ones where the sound is not good. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. The most important thing is that you have good sound quality, because otherwise no one's going to engage with it. I would agree. But people have said that it's a small team when they come. That wasn't the impression I had. But then also they're crammed into a relatively small Okay, can, can I just say, we were in one of the biggest chicken shops I've ever filmed in when I filmed with you. Well, it was two shops. It was two big rooms. It was double It was So double actually tiny. you had a great airy 
deal with that and a small crew and a huge the shop. The nuggets were quite cold. <laughs> it's one of those things where are the nuggets props or do I eat them? And then you eat them, you're like, oh, a bit cold. But that's sounding very negative. You are. And um, you ask for a coffee and that's the one thing that you can't get in a chicken shop. Someone had to a run up to Costa. Star. Yeah. How would you describe the tone? Because the tone is the key to it. And it's been characterised as awkward, mm. which is sort of overused word. But that's sort of the the key to the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I was actually thinking about this the other day. I guess it is awkward, but I feel like maybe I'm awkward sometimes because I pause for longer than usual or I reply in a way that it's almost as if I'm not listening to what they've just said and I move on to a completely different question. I would say, though, they don't feel terribly awkward in the sense that it's almost like safe awkwardness where it's understood that part of the deal is it won't be a conventional interview. I never watch it with sweaty palms feeling, oh, this is uncomfortable. And there is a genre of TV that's related that does do that, where you think they're going to realise they're having the mickey taken and it's going to jump the tracks. I mean, I've done encounters like that, not really intentionally, are you conscious of that, of the fact that the people know what they're walking into and so they just roll with it? It's more of a space that they can play in yeah. than in anything like a tense encounter. Yeah, I don't want it to feel like a tense encounter. That's not my intention. My intention is for it to be funny, like, first of all. Like, I want it to be entertaining and I feel like maybe it was just natural from the conception that my sense of humour was more aligned with something that feels kind of awkward. But, no, I'm never trying to catch anyone out and my intention is always to make the person opposite me look good. And sometimes I make them look better than they actually are. Not not you, obviously, Louis. Could you? Um, not, not you. Is that a serious point, though? You make people look better than they are? Sometimes I feel like some people can come across maybe uninterested. They can't really take themselves too seriously. I think when people take themselves too seriously, that's when I feel like, okay... In the edit, I'm going to shape this so that you come across like you're actually engaged within this conversation and that you're a fun person rather than somebody that's maybe overthinking their responses. And also, I like having a short episode. I like to cut the fat out of everything. I definitely love listening and watching to extended conversations. But me personally, I'm not interested in creating that kind of conversation. They're all under 10 minutes, aren't they? Yeah, they're all under 10 minutes. I remember I had a really strict rule before when I started being like, it should be under five minutes. And then we would be cutting a lot of things out of episodes. And I think often I found myself, as I've been doing this show now for nearly 10 years, it'll be 10 years next year, sometimes bound by my own rules <laughs> that I've created for myself and having to check myself and be like, hang on, no, you actually have the freedom to do whatever you want. You are the, your commissioner. So if you want to make an episode 10 minutes, I can make an episode 10 minutes. But I don't because I just only want to use the best, funniest parts. What other rules? I remember when I did it, you might have said hello, but I think you said I don't really like to talk to people before yeah. the interview or the, or the date, whatever it is. Before I used to be really strict with it and just really not say anything to anyone before they arrived and then even when they left I'd be like thanks bye and I think also that's like a lack of confidence in me and as I've grown older and I've been doing it for more years I've realized actually it's not necessary for me to ignore the person before they arrive and actually it could be beneficial to say hello and to not warm them up but to give them a bit of a briefing. Have you ever filmed one and not used it? No I haven't. I've probably want have I ever wanted to mm. I don't know um I'm asking, <laughs> I'm asking myself sometimes I've thought oh this is not gonna land and then I'm surprised that actually it, it does do you know what the top rated ones are yeah the do. Jack Harlow episode is that the number one I've got the figures here if you don't know um the Chunks and Philly one how many has that got views I'm talking 15 about 15 million 16 million H, 15 million. Jack Harlow, 14 million. Then comes an irrelevant older dude. <laughs> Louis Theroux, 11 million. Mm. February 2022. KSI, 8.6. Dave, 7.4. Ed Sheeran, 6.6. That's quite incredible that I'm number four. Yeah. I mean, I watched it on a permanent loop and mm -hmm. then you leave it on overnight, but mm. what's that going to add? Yeah, I know. Probably, a few pro thousand. Probably, probably not that many. Central C has got 6.2 million in the space of just a couple of months or a month. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. 
There's got to be some American eyes on that. Yeah, definitely. The analytics of my YouTube channel now is split evenly between America and the UK. I don't think I'm bringing many Americans, though it pains me to admit. I feel like the jiggle jiggle part of that episode Mm -hmm. is obviously the thing that people are coming for when they see that. Not for the incisive documentary making insights. Actually, if you look at the comments, which I have done, a lot of them are about how they didn't know who you were. Ouch. And now they are going Wait, to watch your documentaries. This... Okay. Yeah. So I actually have it started done you a bad, pretty big favour. And then favor. it went good. And then they watched the documentaries and they, and they didn't like them. They were more than 10 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. It blew their mind. They didn't know TV could last that long. Oh, that's one of my favourite episodes, the Louis Threw one. Why would that be one of your favourites? Because, as you said, you're not the typical guest I have on the show. So when I went on it, I hadn't full disclosure. Well, when I was asked or someone mentioned that we could do it as promotion for a series that we had going out, I had heard of it, but I hadn't seen it. And I don't even know how the request came in. I'm assuming the BBC social media team were big fans of yours and said this would be great. And not that you actually said that you'd like to have me on. Yeah, I did. I had was asking for you for years. Really? Yeah, and it wasn't happening. And really? then the... I wasn't getting that request, I don't think. Really? Maybe But there's a just... lot of people to go through. Yeah, exactly. But I'm no, like it... well, like Drake, I suppose. Yeah, exactly like Drake. No, actually you're not, because he does everything himself. Like he won't right, so give like me Drake. the email to any of his team. He I'm has... more like Dr. Dre, maybe. Yeah, I would say maybe Dr. Dre, yeah. Anyway, it came through the BBC PR team. And then I watched the Ed Sheeran one and I thought, this is fun. And he plays along very gamely and he plays something on his ukulele or a little guitar or something. Yeah. Which I suppose a ukulele is a little guitar. Exactly. And then I realised much later that you hadn't really had not only no other documentary type people, but perhaps no one over 30. Isn't Ed Sheeran over 30? Yeah, he might. Maybe no one over 35 or 40. Certainly no one 50... One, or whatever I was then. What made you... I mean, this is... Okay, this is weird, but what... Am I going to ask this? What? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. What made you (laughs) want to have me as a guest? Because you're somebody that my audience, the audience of Chicken Shop Date, are actually familiar with, because you have a very young audience as well. And so, to me, it made sense, the idea of having somebody that was sat in a different space, because... I always think about how it can broaden out who I could have on next. (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm thinking, okay, so if so-and-so sees Louis Theroux has done the show, then maybe this is going to open it towards... Someone you really want. Someone I actually want. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who would be like a dream, sort of not, not, you know, obviously you want people like... David Attenborough. For real. I'd be cool to get David Attenborough on, not that he would do it now because he's, I don't think he's doing anything, but someone like that, you know, someone who people would be surprised to see in that situation, but would love to see an interview with and that people really love their work separately. You must have lots of people who come to you who'd like to be on it and maybe you don't think they'd be right. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I'm always thinking when I get a request in, which I do now, I get lots of publicists or management or whoever it is emailing. It's like, first of all, am I a fan? If I'm not a fan of the person, I wouldn't do the interview. Mm-hmm. And is my audience going to be excited when I release this episode, when I say who the episode's with? And also, I'm very particular with who I have on. I don't have a set release schedule. So I just basically film when there's a guest that I want to film with. So I don't have to be doing one a week. There's no delivery schedule. No, which is a good thing and sometimes it can be a negative thing. In so the who sense is your boss? I'm a boss. That's the thing I'm now about content creators. So you can basically, I mean, I'm being slightly silly. I think I realised that you were your own boss, but you could just do, just state the obvious, whoever you want. If you said, I want to put my mate on or whatever. Yeah. And you get paid from advertising mm-hmm. that comes up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. From the views. Does it if, pay quite well? Yeah. If you're getting like millions of views, like I am, basically you could live off you could live off the money, yeah. Maybe you are living off it. Yeah, sorry, I, I am living off it, but I'm just trying to think because I do other things to make money yeah. as well other than YouTube. I think if I only did YouTube, I could still live off that money. But I just put the money that I make from the YouTube views into making more episodes. Really? Yeah. So it's just self-sufficient. So you're not making millions? No, I'm not making millions, no. You're making thousands. And then I What just, about sponsorships? Have you done that? I specifically don't want 
Chicken Shop Date to be sponsored because I love having the complete creative control and I don't want there to be a promo within the episode at all. And I'm very happy to use my own money to make the episodes if it means I can just do it whenever I want, in the way that I want, have the length that I want and have the content that I want. Yeah. How quickly do you get a sense of whether a, an episode is doing well? You can tell like within the first day, the first 24 hours. Do you check? In the car just now, I just went on the Flow episode. I just put out an episode with a girl group called Flow on oh, Friday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Girl, and I hadn't checked the views until today, Monday, and it came out on Friday. And it's on 300,000 views. And that's probably the low end of the views that I usually get now. Interesting. Yeah. But it's because they're, they're new. They're a newer group. And that's why I wanted to have them on as well. You're getting quite far from the concept of a date at that point when there's three of them, unless you're polyamorous <laughs> yeah. and bi-curious, yeah. which you may well be. I'm not. They'd call that. What do they call that when there's four women in a sexual relationship? Oh, I don't know. You you have anyone would know because... <laughs> because you, yes, I would. <laughs> because you've probably done a documentary on that. Oh. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Sorry, that's what I meant by that. Do you get sick and tired of people saying, you know who you should do? Barry Manilow. Oh, no, who no you one, should do, by the way. No one's ever said that. I remember when I've done celebrity interviews, 20 years ago when I did When Louis Met, a series. I love that. Thank you. And around that time, my friends, even my family would be saying, you know who you have, he'd be perfect for you, Murray Walker, the racing commentator, or just random... And did you did you find it annoying because they were not the right suggestions? Either because they weren't the right suggestions or they were unreal. Like, you should do George Bush. I'm like, he's the acting president. He's actually president. How am I going to live with him for two weeks filming? He's got a country to run. He's got a war. Me living with him is not going to be a priority. My, my <clears throat> speaking of presidents, my team had a call with the president's team. Which one? Biden's team. No. Yeah, I know. They told me that. Are you serious? I've not got the update, but they said that they well, think you know he'd be you're a saying fan. This to me on my podcast. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but that's like that's news. Yeah. No, I don't know what's going to happen. I haven't had the the update. Wait, are you sure it isn't someone having a laugh? Well, maybe. I don't know. Apparently, his team think that that he would be a fan of my style of interviewing. Are you serious? But I don't think I would get. Would okay. This is a question. That would a be hilarious. Would, do you, I don't think he I seems would. Seems quite. Confused. I would agree to do. A chicken shot date with Joe Biden. Why not? I think it would be so random. It's like Obama went on Mark Maron's podcast and it was a news event. Everyone said, oh, it was a bit boring. Donald Trump's always trying to go on Joe Rogan, so they say. Have you mm, heard that? Yeah. Biden on chicken shop dates. And then there was also a, a request in that sometimes when these requests come in... Well, would you have not, him on? I don't know. I don't think so. Yes. I think it would be... Even if it's bad, it's still good. No, not that I think it would be bad, but would it just be like too random I can't believe you're even asking that the only downside uh, is that where else can you go after that I think that see this is you thing. will have climbed there'll be no new worlds left to conquer as see, Alexander the Great said that's why I'm thinking differently because my dream would not be that would not be Joe Biden your dream would be would be Drake Drake <laughs> boring and back but to, that's kind of a joke that, isn't it yeah it's kind of a joke but it is also it is also real not that Drake's boring but he is a bit boring. Well, uh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Well, he could be. He could be listening to this and crying. He's probably listening he's pr to this. I hate crying. to think of champagne, Pappy, crying into his champagne. I'm such a boomer that I tried to. I was like, I need to follow Drake on Instagram, and I couldn't find him anywhere. And people <laughs> like, no, it's called. He's called Champagne Pappy, on Insta. Yeah, it's true. I was the last person to learn that. Would you ever change your name on Instagram to something like Champagne Louis? Yeah, <laughs> maybe Prosecco Louis. Probably. Yeah. That would be more accurate. <laughs> yeah, more accurate. In terms of your question about people asking me about future guests, often they're people I actually want to get on the show. I'm um, curious about the ones that you wouldn't be quite... Would you have Donald Trump on? No, absolutely not. Why not? Because I don't like him. <laughs> and I think he's an awful person. Wow. And, a, and a dangerous person. There was a perceptible vibe shift. <laughs> I think you reacted viscerally. Did, weren't you asked if you would interview Andrew Tate? Probably, I get asked that quite a bit. He'd be good on Chicken Shop. Oh, my, no, he would not. A lot of audience overlap. He would, oh, you think? <laughs> I don't know, young people. No, I don't think... They're I not would, all I... in their same lanes, you know, like there's a lot of crossover. Actually, you, you know could... what? What I thought was quite sad, actually, was that I went to a school visit with young boys and girls and then afterwards it was like a Q&A and I think they must have been like in year 10 and 
they were asking me who I'd want to get on the show. And then lots of the boys were shouting, get Andrew Tate, get Andrew Tate on the show. And I was just surprised that they were wanting him to be on the show because in my mind, he's like such a awful misogynist. He's under investigation for sex trafficking Mm. and he's been released on bail, I believe, on house arrest. But what he's got hundreds of millions of views on TikTok. So the constituency is there. And I don't know if you've followed it, but they're having to sort of do interventions at schools to teach kids about sexism and about the dangers of toxic masculinity because Mm. his reach is so enormous. I'm not interested in getting those types of people on the show. I actually think often platforming such people, I don't want to be involved in doing that kind of thing. I'd much rather just get Ed Sheeran. (laughs) <laughs> Barry Manilow? Oh, Barry Manilow. Would he be good? No. Why not? Again, because I'm thinking about my audience and I'm thinking yeah, that... I would watch that. You would watch that, yeah, but do you even actually watch Chicken Shop Day? Well, I've been watching a lot of them... In preparation, in preparation for this preparation for this. Exactly. I also what? got Bernie Sanders come through. No, you'd never. But I don't know if they actually... More um, news. But I don't know if he had... I don't think he'd agreed. I think his team... Often it's the team who think it's a fun idea. He's not really your demographic. Well, any more than He's Joe not my Biden. demographic, but then... Americans in their 80s and 90s. But then again, that's an interesting one because I would be more inclined to do a chicken shake with Bernie Sanders, for example, because I think that his politics align more with mine and also he has a young audience. Who are your other celebrity fans? We've got Biden, Bernie Sanders... <laughs> I don't even know if they're actually fans. I think they're team are fans. Pharrell. Pharrell. Drake. Drake actually messaged you, didn't he, and said... Yeah, he messaged me last week. Again? Yeah. What did he say? I interviewed the Arsenal goalkeeper, Aaron Ramsdale, and I posted it on my Instagram. And he replied saying, you look great together. Drake did. Champagne Pappy. Yeah. He must have a very big team. No, it was him. And then I just replied saying, yeah, shame, he's engaged. And then he replied saying... Good job I'm not. No, he didn't. Yeah, and then I said, thank God. For realsies. Yeah, but I don't message him. He messages me randomly, like stuff like this. He's just leading me on. It will happen. The date will happen in the future, soon. Well, I've said before I want to end the series with his episode. You know, that whole platforming, no platforming. Do you ever feel, this is more something I should be asking myself, there have been people where you've made them look better than they deserve to an extent where you feel slightly ethically mm. questionable? I don't think so. I don't. It's think not like, I don't know. Not like you and that guy, yeah. Um, no, not like that. <laughs> but hang on, I did an investigative documentary. Yeah, and you, you didn't find out any of the actual things well, you meant to find out. Well, that's not quite true, but I, I'll take that on the chin. Zooming out for a second... What do you think it is that works about the format and why do you think it connects? And by the way, we will talk about some other things in a second. Why do you think it's reached the huge success that it has? Because it really does seem to be on this long crescendo over the last few years that shows no sign of abating. You've been profiled in the New York Times, the Washington Post. You've been on podcasts in America. Pharrell was talking about it. On a, You appeared yeah. on his podcast. Mm-hmm. There's this extraordinary reach we talked about length of the episodes and the humour, but it's something more than that, isn't it? It must be. Well, I guess, I don't know. I feel like maybe you'll be better at answering it than me from an outside perspective on like why people connect with it. But I think definitely because of how long I've been doing it, I think that's one reason. Ten years. Ten years, and actually even longer than ten years because it was a column in the magazine first when I was 17. So over ten years, really, of the format. And I think the consistency of building an audience and not just building an audience, but building up momentum of like the higher profile of guests and the global reach of the guests. So like artists, not just from the UK, like that's definitely grown the channel and grown people's perception of the show. Do you think there's anything in, it's not true of all the episodes, but in many of them, you're talking to black British artists who people have only seen in the context of you know, their videos and knowing their music and there's a prejudice or maybe a preconception that they'll be intimidating or scary mm-hmm. and they come across very likeable and warm and friendly. I mean, the Digger D episode, I mean, I like his music and yet I wasn't prepared for how silly in a good way he is, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, people call me Digger Doo Doo. <laughs> Digger Doo Doo. And then there's a bit where he talks about his hamster. 
Do you yeah. remember that? He like put the hamster in the oven. No, next to the oven. He said I had a hamster called Harry. It died. My mum put it in the oven. It woke back up and then it died again. Which was shocking to me. Which is supernatural, really. And also you being obviously, let's identify the elephant in the room, you know, white and middle class, there's this sort of slight sense of culture clash mm -hmm. that at the same time feels very comfortable. So there's this sort of life-affirming, if I can call it that, aspect to it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And I think that when you're watching their music videos and as you said like they come across as like having a very like hard outer shell and actually within my episodes I'm asking them silly questions where you get a sense of their personality that they're actually they are actually a lot softer on the inside because also a lot of the time I'm interviewing people that don't really do interviews so often they actually haven't had a chance to showcase their personality and often maybe when they do interviews it's really heavily on the music questions that I probably wouldn't ask because I often don't really ask them about their music unless it's to recite a lyric back to them coded in a way of flirting. Just to get this out of the way there was a little moment where I mean I think in general you're very loved right if I don't think I know you are and your work is very loved and in fact it's also watched by everyone like across the board it's, it's definitely not if I can call it that it's not in the media village like it's got millions of people who are not just fans of grime, but people from the grime world or from all the kind of worlds of different cultures. Notwithstanding all of that, there was a moment when it felt like there was a little squirt of negative feedback. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where one or two people, perhaps on Twitter, which is inevitable, it's just the way mm -hmm. of the world, right? We're saying, what's this white middle-class girl doing interviewing black artists? And then a guy in America was saying like, and it's in a chicken shop, implying that that was racially insensitive. Was that uncomfortable and how did you sort of process that whole experience? Yeah, obviously when you have kind of feedback like that, it's uncomfortable because it just always will be. But I think that that comment in particular, the feedback that people said that that's not how the show is seen to be. But the, the conversation that did come out of, of that was just a broader conversation about like access and privilege and the privilege that white people get more than non-white people into how they progress within media. And there need to be more support for non-white journalists or creators to be given the same opportunities. And that conversation was something that I think is a really crucial one to have rather than the other one about whether people should be interviewed in chicken shops. Makes sense. Why is it in a chicken shop? The chicken shop day element happened because when I was at the youth club where I started chicken shop day, the first idea was that I wanted to interview musicians and the second bit was that I wanted it to be a date. And then someone said, oh, you should go on a date where you would never usually go on a date to yeah. make it funny. And so that's how the chicken shop element happened. There was a chicken shops like all on the road of the youth club and it just made sense that that would be a place that no one would ever think to go on a date in. So that's, that's literally how it happened. You know, I think a bit like you, occasionally I've been criticised probably more than you. And I think it can be uncomfortable when you notice people on Twitter or elsewhere criticising or saying that what you do, there's something wrong with it. But you also have to accept that's just part of being in the public eye, isn't it? It doesn't make them right. It doesn't make them wrong. But to please everyone all the time would be impossible. I also think that because of the times we live in, people are understandably sensitive about issues around class and race, and, mm -hmm. that's, and, and so they should be. And at the same time, there's, I think, bad actors or you know, people who actually have an agenda looking to weaponize apparent conflict. I'm thinking of places like Mail Online, where they can get a headline out mm -hmm. of one person on Twitter saying, oh, Louis Theroux or Amelia de Moldenberg called racist, or you know what I mean? And then you, that's a guaranteed click isn't it anyway I think you know all of this but yeah it's, it's sort of the internet runs on conflict. yeah for sure and there's always going to be criticism on anything that you do and some of it is more valid than others but yeah I think the main valid thing within that conversation is the playing field isn't level what I can do I guess is just make sure that my team is diverse that I never have all white crews that I'm doing as much as I can in terms of like giving workshops or giving advice to young people like I did have a work experience program that I'd love to bring back this summer to give access to more people and yeah just to make sure that the content of my shows continues to be great and that no one has an issue with the content you know very good how comfortable are you talking about your personal life? In what sense? Are you in a relationship? No. 
I'm just, you, you know, why I'm laughing is because I've watched so many interviews of you that yeah. you do. And I also feel like when you're an interviewer yourself, it's strange when people ask you questions about yourself. Anyway, carry on. You went out with H for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but you're on record. That's not, you, I think that's, you've talked about that. You talked about your chemistry. Yeah, we've got great chemistry. Meaning what? I don't know, like, we go on really well. People can see the chemistry between us. I don't really know. I, yeah, exactly. What does chemistry Have mean? you done chemistry together? <laughs> what? <laughs> Louis? <laughs> so you went out for a, a week or so? Yeah. For those who don't know, he's a very talented rapper from Manchester, I believe. Yeah, he is. Who's got a huge following. He's got what? A huge following. He's got a huge following, yeah. How big is his following? Louis, you're actually ridiculous. Uh, we've gone very low road. We really have. No, that was, it was very intense, that period of time. It made me think I don't really know how people date people who are in the public eye. It's so overwhelming. And then also it's like... Did you have paparazzi around? No, I've never actually been followed by paparazzi. It was just a bit of a whirlwind of, of a lot of attention. But from? Then from... The media, but then we were also putting it out there, so it was sort of like... So you were playing with it? Yeah, but it was all just snowballed, basically. So the relationship couldn't withstand all the scrutiny? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly why it deteriorated. It was just too much. And also, I I wanted to date other people. Who? On my dating show. And but you... that can't really <laughs> interfere one with the other, can it? No, I, I have been in a relationship before when I had the show, but since then I haven't been actually seriously dating anyone why not because no one asked me out come on maybe i'm just too picky i don't know you need I, to lower your standards i maybe. think i maybe need to lower my standards <laughs> maybe i'm reaching for reaching for the stars literally. don't go chasing waterfalls yeah stick to the rivers and the valleys you're used to i'm in the mood to fall in love for sure i think it's going to happen for me this well, year that's quite a high bar maybe you should just be looking for fun yeah, well, I'm also looking for that, but that seems even harder. Do you think guys might have an issue that I have a dating show? It really doesn't feel like a, you know, hate to break it to you, they don't feel like you're on a real date. What? <laughs> I know. What? It feels like you're having a bit of fun. Are you serious? Except when you did Lady Leisure and she kept inviting you back to her flat. <laughs> yeah, she did. I couldn't figure that out. I didn't go. No, obviously it's not a real date. But sometimes I do think, why couldn't I meet someone on the show? Am I crazy for thinking that? Is that really deluded of me? Not it's just, really. To me, it feels like you just meet someone in the office. <laughs> well, I think so. It's as valid a place as anywhere else. Sometimes the lines are blurred and I think it confuses me sometimes. That's why sometimes I think I should just end the show and then maybe I actually will really fall in love. I can see that. A long time ago, I had to do an episode of Weird Weekends where I went to a swingers party. Oh, I've seen that one. And I had to bring a date. And so part of the programme followed me placing an ad meeting a woman and taking her to the swingers party where I was going to swing potentially with her and the whole thing felt quite uncomfortable obviously I wasn't really going to swing as in have sex with this virtual stranger on BBC2 and Not yet BBC2 I know of all the channels to oh do it God. on maybe channel 4 I know I was in a relationship at the time it all just felt very uncomfortable and I didn't enjoy it similarly I did one about a brothel and I got a massage from a woman who worked there called Haley, and I had to show it to the woman who's now my wife, you know, before it went out. I was like, well, here's me half naked being massaged with oils in the Wild Horse Resort and Spa. And my wife was very cool about it, but I didn't like it. So I think that, does that relate to what we're talking about? Well, no, not a really, bit. because I'm not getting massaged like that in a spa. No, but it's horses. not far off. I think it is. It's a similar sort of, would, same ballpark. Well, no, I don't know. I would hate to do anything like that. I am always across the table from someone and like never gets heated in any way, other than when Matty Healy like asked to kiss me, but then I just well, said... Well, that was a good episode. I know, I love that episode. Because he was willing to sort of raise the stakes. Yeah. And also he's got this interesting sort of borderline angry energy what does he say? Commit to the bit. Commit if it's going to be a date, then you should kiss me. <laughs> he says, I do genuinely find you quite attractive just to break the fourth wall. And you say, I just smoked a cigarette I can't reach. It was quite, I like to see you out of your comfort zone. <laughs> and I think in general, when I see prank adjacent style interviews, 
I like it when there's this danger of the interviewer is not completely in control. Mm. And that was one of those where you felt, actually, I think Amelia's met her match with this one. Have you ever had a moment like that when you felt out of control? Always. In fact, that's what I sort of specialise in trying to get out of my depth. Mm. That's the 10-word version of how I describe my approach to documentaries. Really? Is I try to get out of my comfort zone. But are you doing that because you, at the end of the day, you know that you're going to be in the edit? I'm doing it because I, I want to make a, a compelling TV programme and I'm comfortable doing it because I know that there's a safety net exactly. of the edit and if it doesn't yeah. work, we'll just clip it out. Mm. But if I'm interviewing someone and it's a borderline confrontational interview, like as a guy I interviewed, who, he was basically a lion breeder who would invite people to shoot lions on his property in this semi-enclosed space. And I said, well, what kind of hunting is that? It's like tennis without a net. And he said, you've asked me that fucking question 15 times. I don't care about it. He said, no, I hate fucking elephants. They don't eat the shitty bush. They eat the big bush. And then he comes up and puts his hand over the thing. And I'm thinking, A, is he going to hit me? Because he looked like he might. And I'm visibly scared, if you look at the materials in the programme. But mainly I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is the good stuff. Yeah, you're out of your comfort zone, but then it also seems like you've got someone on the edge of something. It's conflict. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. I mean, that's awkward, which I think is perhaps not the mood that you're going for. Is H going to punch? Well, H isn't a good example. Well, I didn't know that Matty would do that. Like, that was completely... Of course. There was, and that's what I also love about the show, is that I can prepare my questions, but I never know what they're going to say. You're listening to the Louis Theroux Podcast. Hi, I'm Louis Theroux, and you're listening to the Louis Theroux Podcast. And now back to my conversation with Amelia de Moldenberg. We've got so much good stuff, and I haven't really got to the main point. <laughs> I mean, I suppose the main... It was not really... It was a joke. Really, it would be nice to get a little sense of where you grew up, a little bit about your parents and sort of background. I grew up opposite Edgware Road Station in northwest London. Not yeah. on the actual road, because it's quite a busy road. Yeah, it's a really busy road. Six lanes of traffic. Yeah, you were actually on that road. Yeah. Quite high up. Yeah, fourth floor. And even with the double glazing, really noisy. And then also, it is one of the most polluted roads yeah. in Europe. I cycle along it. And times a week. I would be walking down that road to get to school every day for my whole adolescence. So I am pretty concerned about my... And they still had lead in the petrol in those days. Did they? No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> they did in the 70s. I think um, no, I wasn't around in the 70s. My postcode is NW1, but I would say it's more central London, really. It really is. It's like really in the in the middle no of London. No one really lives there. Yeah, no one lives there. And diplomats. None of my... And Radio well, 1 DJs. Well, actually, there's lots of different... People who live around there. Not many families. Not you don't. It's not think. Oh, I want to raise my kids next to Europe's most polluted road. Lots of people live around Edgware Road. Well, your parents? They just like city life, I guess. Yeah, they do. It's crazy to me because I'm always like, guys, why are you still living here? And they also sometimes do complain a lot about the noise and the sirens and the building work that's always going on. And I'm like, why don't you just move? But anyway, they like it. So I grew up there with my mum, my dad, and my sister. Your dad was a Labour councillor. Yeah, is a Labour councillor still. still. Is. He's been a Labour councillor for over 30 years, always in the opposition in Westminster Council, never actually in charge. Then last year, Labour won in Westminster for the first time in a very, very, very long time. And it was actually the year that he was meant to retire. And everyone had bought his retirement present. My mum was really excited for him to retire with her because she was a librarian and now she's retired. And Librarian in the same area? Librarian, Hammersmith and Shepherds Bush Library. Really? Yeah, so we spent a lot of time in libraries. Like, after school, we'd just always go to the library. My family's are massive bookworms. Oh, that's lovely. And do you read a no. lot? No. <laughs> Why not? Well, I do, but I don't. Like, they read, like, a book a week. They're, like, insane. I don't do that because I just have never been into reading as much as them, but they're really, really well-read. And it is great because I actually kind of use them <laughs> for their knowledge. So I just basically, like, leech off their knowledge of their In books. In what situations? I don't know, like with my sister. You've we, got one sister. One sister, yeah. And we work very A year younger, I believe. 
she's 18 months younger yeah she was a year below me at school and we're really close and we live together and she's so well read and she's honestly one of the smartest people I've ever met like she purposefully watches University Challenge and like will answer like a lot of the questions <laughs> I like yeah, you use it purposefully like as opposed to accidentally <laughs> no, sorry I meant more she watches University Challenge and purposefully answers the questions that's normal I think I don't think in my world. Yeah, in your world that is for sure. That's your world, Louis Through world. Yeah. But I don't know. I just think she's very smart and so I like to ask her opinion all the time on stuff. And my parents too sometimes they'll also like let me know about certain things. I don't know. I just think that it's great that they read <laughs> because <laughs> it's important. It's, it's important. an important skill. But they read for pleasure, I think is your point. Sorry, they read for pleasure and basically yeah, my dad is still a labor councillor because they won in Westminster and now he's busier than ever actually being whatever his job is i think he's in charge of the streets that's very like apropos the, isn't it keeping the streets clean he's on is the it, road he's on the road he's out on the streets you, your chicken shop date well, you must know on, about being on the road sorry. it means you're fully in the lifestyle yeah okay he's, he's gangster well he's gangster to a level of, he's on the streets he's gangster in dealing terms of, dealing street lights and good it. parking yeah it's a hot commodity we should probably talk about jiggle jiggle just for a second shouldn't we yeah sure why not so just to get this out of the way, I don't know if you knew this, I had a viral rap track called Jiggle Jiggle. I had no idea about that. My money don't jiggle jiggle, it folds. I'd like to see you wiggle wiggle, for That's sure. Cool. It makes me want to dribble dribble, you, you know. know. That's as much as you're going to get. Well, we don't get the riding in the Fiat. Riding in my Fiat. You really have to see it. Six fake two with a compact, no slack. But luckily the seats go back, got a knack to relax in my mind. I'm sipping on some red, red wine. The full story is obviously when you hosted me on Chicken Shop Date, you asked me about the rap, I did the rap. You were kind enough, your team was, to send over a rough cut to give us an idea of what it was going to look like. And I don't think I've told you this. I mean, I'm not the best judge of what's funny and what's not when I'm involved. Right, OK. And certainly not for your audience. I did think, wow, they put the rap in, OK. My wife looked at it and was like, oh, tell them to take the rap out. <gasps> you know, really? everyone knows that rap. It's so old. And I was like, yeah, I know what you mean, but they know their audience and let's not get in the way. Isn't that extraordinary, though? Because it turns out that was my route to fame and vast wealth. So then what happened from my end was a few weeks after it went out, everyone was happy and, it was, and people said, oh, that's really funny. And then a few weeks on from that, my agent got in touch and said, that TikTok had been in touch, their computers were blowing up because of the vast demand for the TikTok rap sensation that was Jiggle Jiggle. God, it had been remixed dangerous. by Duke and Jones in Manchester. Two young women called Jess and Brooke. Jess and Brooke in South London had done a dance, and celebrities around the world, including Shakira, Shakira, Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg, Lizzo, Lizzo, Megan The Stallion, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. She was basically one of the first. Oh, she, love yeah. her. And others, to name a few, were doing the dance and doing the rap or whatever. And then it was getting literally hundreds of millions and then maybe even billions of streams and views. Now, granted, it's only about 10 or 12 seconds long. It's not like watching a half hour long program. But nevertheless, it was huge. And then... As you know, we ended up doing a video for it. Jason Derulo sang on it. Mm -hmm. We drove around East London in a in a Fiat. You yeah, made a weird sound with your lips. No, I'm just remembering it. Like was that boredom? No, I, well, well, I have heard. I do know this whole story. Is this for the audience? That yeah, a lot of people listeners? might not know about this. Sorry, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they. Yeah. I wish I could do that with my lips. It was like a horse whinnying. <laughs> Sorry, no. It's, I'm not bored. I'm not bored. I can't do it. Sorry, carry on. I well, no, I'm not, not going to say any more about it now. No, it was ruined my flow. I, I've lost my place. It didn't. I can't remember I what I was talking about. I didn't mean to do that. I'm it, all thrown, guys. You, can we you, stop for you, a second? You, I'm thrown. I don't know. I don't. You'd honestly, you got to saying? the end of the story. I hadn't. Okay. Because there was a bit about walking past schools. <laughs> Wait, it's not weird. Let me finish the sentence. I would walk past schools, and the little children would come and <laughs> the children, okay. would flock to me, okay. and say. Jiggle Jiggle or it's Louis Theroux, believe it or not. Eight, nine, ten-year-olds. Why were you walking by schools, you're thinking? Because I have children, I would drop them off at school and I live near a school. And then even in America, when I went on holidays, this is going on for ages. No, it's Forced not. I, enjoy ev editing everyone's this. really enjoying Riveting. this story. Yeah. And basically it conquered America. And even in America, I would get stopped. It was like Beatlemania. 
<laughs> Beatlemania. And people would run around chasing me down the road. I remember you messaged me and you said, thanks for the interview. Now I can't leave the house without being hounded by young people. By tweens Thank and, you. and young teens. And I thought, oh my God, I've ruined Louis Theroux's life. Well, you definitely didn't ruin my life. The only downside is I feel I got famous to a level that I'd never experienced before based on something I don't actually do. Isn't that so crazy, though, that you could never have imagined I never imagined and also never replicate. You know, it's not like they've found out that I write poetry and everyone loves it and and I've got reams of the stuff. It's like it's something that I don't do. I'm not a rapper and I don't write comedy viral raps. But I feel like if you... And now I feel like I want more. I've had a taste of paradise. (laughs) Yeah. And I've got nothing left. Just the whole thing was just so brilliant. Like, everything about it. And also just how joyful the whole thing is. Like, it's just a fun song, which loads of people of all ages can dance and sing to. And I just think that's a great thing to be a part of. Briefly, because they've heard my version... I'm not sure how interested people are in in your side of it, but briefly, (laughs) what was your experience of being part of my rap sensation? Just that, like, just like I said, I just think it's so fun to be a part of something that was just so fun within its nature. How did you find out that it had become the biggest thing in the history of the the world? world. Um, Probably through you just banging on about it the whole time. If I'm being honest, I never could have imagined that that's how whatever relationship we have, whatever, whatever's going on, our best friendship that we have. Pro- professional respect. Professional, mutual respect. I always thought that maybe the way that I would meet you would be like at one of your book tours that I would... You used to put, imagine meeting me. Uh, yeah, that I would put my hand up in one of your book tours and be like... Panic button. <laughs> like Paul, can you calm? Can you calm down? That I would put my hand up and be like, "Oh, I've got a question about your like interview style, blah blah." blah. But actually, what really? Why would you put on that voice? (laughs) So you would not recognise me as I was in disguise. And actually, the way that it's happened is just not what I would ever imagine that we'd actually then have a song together that we'd film a music video for, where we'd be riding around in a Fiat and I'd be wearing a Gucci headscarf. And now I'm here talking about it again on your own podcast. Like, you can never imagine. And that's what I love about the world. (laughs) You can have ambitions or you can have dreams or whatever (laughs) of things, but then they just don't ever happen in the way that you think that they will. And they maybe happen in an even better way. That's nice. So it was an ambition to meet me on a book tour. You had it all planned <laughs> not, out. Not, but, no, well, yeah, just it was an ambition of mine to meet to meet you and to talk to you. Yeah, and now I'm really talking to you way too much. And actually, if anything, I think we should just stop what talking you, to each other. What would you have asked me? I would have asked you a very insightful, brilliant question that I would have thought about long and hard, and you would have been really impressed, and you would have thought, "Oh my God, who is that? She needs to actually you never replace planned the actual me. question." Well, and bring me on to the team. And bring me on to the team. Oh. You've also got lots of other series you do. You do a cooking one. We've only spoken about Chicken Shop Day But it's significant. It gets a lot of views. And your other stuff gets views, but not mega, mega No, views. the brand name is big with the Chicken Shop Day, for sure. You but do you, the cooking show. Cooking show that I'm probably not going to continue doing because I just think it, I had fun now. I don't want to move on. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. And you've done your red carpet Chats. Can you uh, hear my stomach rumbling? Are you hungry? I can't actually. Oh, okay, fine. Are you all right? Yeah, no, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you want a sandwich? No, no, I'm, I'm good. Do you want some chicken nuggets? I was nuggets? just concerned um, that you'd hear Paul, that. is the sound all right? I don't think we can hear that. Sounds fine. fine. Oh, yeah, the red carpet stuff I've been doing, that's been great. I've actually been doing red carpet interviews for a while. Like The first red carpet interview I did was at the MOBO Awards over five years ago, maybe. And I loved it. And I loved that style of interviewing people. Which is what? Off the cuff. Live, in the moment. Nothing drags because it's just moving, moving, moving. And that's so my style of like wanting to just be quick and feel like there's a real energy there. I knew that that's what I wanted to do moving forward, like maybe like two years ago. More red carpet stuff. Yeah, because I like doing them and I thought that would be a great way for people to know that I can do more than Chicken Shop Day and that I have a skill as an interviewer and I can be placed in numerous different situations that I can still do a great job and can get some great things out of people. And I also love the challenge of the red carpet because you can have an idea of who's going to be there, but you never know actually who you're going to get. So it's up to you to be able to wrangle the interview with people. It's up to you to make the most out of the one minute you have with someone. So there's a lot of parameters that are put on the situation and you have to thrive within it. And I like that, the challenge. 
you did a famous red carpet interview, famous as in it went viral, with Andrew Garfield. Yeah. It was flirtatious, they said. Mm. You weren't you at the Oscars as well, or was it the Golden Vanity Globes? Fair. I did the red carpet, the Golden Globes, and then I also did the Vanity Fair Oscars. Throw some party. big names at me. Pedro Pascal. He's good. From The Mandalorian. From The Mandalorian, yeah. Did Pedro Pascal show any evidence of knowing who you were? I don't think so. No. No. It'd be hard to tell under that mask. Well, he wasn't wearing the mask. Oh. Yeah, you know... I thought yeah. he wasn't allowed to take it off. No, I know, I know. No, they changed his contract. That's a very in-joke for fans of The Mandalorian. Glorian. If you like Star Wars jokes, email me and I'll give you some more. Great. We're nearly there. No, no I'm not... Okay, fine. I'm doing no, we're not. this. We've got loads. But can I say something? I think I will say it anyway. What's striking about your journey is that you've achieved amazing success and done great work purely on your own efforts, right? You're one of these people who's come up via YouTube, the Web 2.0, without having to be at the whims of commissioners or conventional television makers. You've carved your own furrow. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're a totally self-created, albeit with your team and people around you and support, a self-created media brand and entity. And actually, when I've seen your outings on TV, they've always been good, but it never felt like it was as good. Not, not as good, but it felt like, you, well, you've already built your own ship. Yeah. You don't really need to do time on mm -hmm. any other ship, mm -hmm. if that metaphor makes any sense. I get what you mean, minus the ship reference, but I agree. And I think that's something I'm also realising more and more now. I think when you're starting out, if you have someone like me who grew up watching a lot of linear television, you're always going to have ambitions to maybe go into the more traditional worlds of media. That's why I've said yes to opportunities in that world. But you are right in that actually I don't really need to be doing that because my audience I've already made for myself and they're on my channel or they're on the internet in the ways that I've created for myself. But I also would say that there is something to be said about being seen in more traditional media because then you broaden yourself up to an, a bigger audience. Do you know the average age of viewers of BBC Two? The average age of viewers of BBC Probably two, like over 60. It's like 67 yeah. or something. No, I know what you mean. So the idea of broadening your audience, yeah, if you want to get a lot of older people, nothing wrong with that. I'm an older person myself, but you don't really need it. Yeah, I think that's something that I'm also realising now too. Actually, I've really found it difficult to be commissioned by linear places. Like they just seem, it seems to be always a no or it's not quite right kind of thing. And that's why essentially I'm really glad that I have my own YouTube channel to self-publish my formats. Like with my cooking show, for example, at one point I would have loved that to be actually on television, but like there was no interest. So I just thought, hang on, I've got a whole huge audience of people that are actually already engaged in what I'm doing. Why don't I just make it myself? Have they asked you to do Strictly? Maybe. They definitely have, haven't they? Are you doing it? No, I'm not doing it. What about Celebrity Bake Off? I would love to do Celebrity Bake Off. They said no. They said no? Yeah, they said no last year. and then they They're supposed to ask you. You don't ask them. No, I asked them because I was like, I want to go on Celebrity Bake Off. And what did they say? They said no, but they said, I'm sure one day we'll be banging on the door. <gasps> Shame on them. And I said, yeah, you bloody will. But I would still... By Maybe the way, you I don't still, want them. I still do want to do Celebrity Bake Off. What I really want to do is, who do you think you are? Do you? So... If anyone's listening... What would they find out? Well, I don't really know that much about my family. I think you have family. Jewish heritage. Yeah, exactly. My dad's Jewish. Hence the de Moldenberg. And everyone always says to me, where is de Moldenberg It from? sounds Dutch. And we don't know. We don't so know. I want to go on have who you, you heard of you Google? Are. No, there's not many good de Moldenbergs. There's like literally none. It's like me, my sister and my dad. Online? Really? Like, if you go on Facebook, there's no de Moldenbergs. Weird. Yeah. Would you go on it? I think you should What's go on it. What's your mum's maiden name? Hardman. Hardman. There's loads of Hardmans. It's like a porn name. No, it's not. There literally is a porn star called Dave Hardman. Okay, cool. I'm glad you've brought that up in connection to my mum. I think a long time ago I was asked if I wanted to do Who Do You Think You Are? And I was probably in my phase of say no to everything. I've since come out of that phase. Yeah, clearly. You should, you, <laughs> you should definitely do it. Why? I think it's a really cool one to do. It can be cringe. Do you think that your family... Are you worried that your family's they boring? Definitely not. We may have Native American ancestry, possibly of the Menominee tribe. Oh, yeah, see, that could be cool. Although the gene test just seemed to disprove that, but we think there may be a faulty 
lab. Oh yeah, definitely faulty lab. Yeah, issue. genes. Definitely. There's sure. no way I'm not part Native American. But yeah, I think it is an interesting conversation about like the online world versus the broadcast world, and I would kind of like to do both. I feel like that's when you've really like got a good thing going when you can do both. You know, Johnny Carson in America was doing the Tonight Show for I don't know forty years or something, and David Letterman still doing his chat show. And just to put this out there, what would be wrong if 40 years from now you were celebrating the 50th anniversary of Chicken Chop Date? I don't want to do that. Why? Because I don't want to be 60 years old dating 20-year-old rappers. You don't, you're not actually dating them. It's a, it's a, it's no, a format. it's real, Louis. <laughs> I don't want to be doing Chicken Chop Date forever. I've got so many other ambitions, which you haven't asked me about. Go on then. What are your other <laughs> ambitions? <laughs> Well, actually, I don't know. What is what the they dream are. scenario then? Oh, actually, I specifically didn't even want to talk about this, and now I've brought it up. Go on. About like, what are you going to do next? Have you got anything? No, no, no. I do. I want to write scripts. I'm writing a script. Basically. Sitcom. More of like a, a comedy drama. Yeah, dramedy. Like Succession or White Lotus. Not really like Succession, but I love Succession. More like something like Skins. No, I've done some research. And you said the same thing on a podcast interview in 2018. Yeah, I did. That's like five years ago. Yeah. How long does it take you to write? 2018? I believe so. Um, I've been writing it for a while. I think it was on the Jamie Lang podcast. Oh, yeah. No, but that's not the same idea, was Which it? was the same podcast where he asked you at the end to say something inspirational. Oh, my God. What did I say? And you couldn't think of anything. That's quite my vibe, yeah. And it wasn't fake awkward. It was properly awkward. <laughs> I could, well, what are you meant to say that's inspirational at the end of a podcast? Well, if you can ask me, I'll tell you something. Are Go you, on, say something say, inspirational then. You can do anything. Well, like that... turn your, what you think is your weakness, maybe your superpower. That's what, you, that's my go-to you, if I'm asked for. You've said that before, I've seen that. Yeah. What, just everything you say, something you've never said before? Yeah, that, actually that's everything, a high bar. everything I say is an original you'd, you'd thought. You'd have to start using other languages. No, the thing with writing is that it turns out that if you want to be a writer, you actually have to write, which is just so boring. boring. Yeah. No. Especially if you've already said you can't read. No, I've been thinking about ideas for a long time, for years and years. But I essentially have a, another day job that I do. And I find writing really hard, but I have just submitted the first draft of my script. What's it called? I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. Why? Because it's a really good title. I don't want you to steal it. Now you've, made, now you've made me feel bad that I've not... Because I was thinking about this. I'm like, yeah, I want to be a writer, but I don't. But it's, it's honestly because I've been really busy doing all this other stuff that you're interviewing me about. I've been busy building my... Empire. My, my media empire and trying to find my one true love. But I'm really happy that I have finished the first draft and then I'm about to start development of another script for a film. Ooh. So... Now I feel like I'm making... What does that mean, I'm about to start development? Well, I've, I've found... That's virtually it... meaningless. Shut <laughs> up. Oh, well, the thing is... So you're I... not developing it yet, but you, I... sometime in the future <laughs> you'll start. This is why I don't even want to talk about it, because essentially what I'd, lo I'd love That's to... That's like I'm thinking of suing. I'd, I'd love That's, to I'm talk of about suing. it when I've actually got something to show for myself. But at the moment, it's on the back burner, you know, alongside all my other things and all my other commitments, like doing this bloody podcast endless podcast maybe i should stop saying yes to these podcasts well just choose selectively what does the future look like what do you mean the future look like what in for media, me or, media, or media in general i think it's just on your phone but i did read this really interesting article yesterday in the new statesman about the correlation between mood behavior within girls young girls and Phone using use. their phones you're comparing your insides with someone else's outsides yeah and that's what they say I doubt myself. I lack confidence. I don't I've, look right. And then you're looking at the most amazing photoshopped imagery. Yeah, unrealistic, unrealistic image. And I felt like that really recently, actually, when I was in LA. I was in a really bad way with my mind, actually. And I also think it's because I wasn't exercising. And I what, re recently? Yeah, really bad, actually. About yourself? Yeah, about myself. Just loads of negative thoughts about myself. And I think it's definitely because I was on my phone too much and maybe I was alone in LA and the pressure of my job feels like more intense. Um, Does it? 
Yeah, like the pressure to... From where, though? But that's all from you, isn't it? Yeah, it's from me. You can't be cancelled. like in, in the. No, in... I'm not f- scared of being cancelled. The pressure to, like, do a good job. That's what I feel like. You know when you've had some amazing moments, like, for example... The whole thing that happened with the Jiggle Jiggle, my Andrew Garfield interviews, like so many great moments I've had. To me now, it feels like a pressure to like keep getting to that level. And I don't know, sometimes it can feel a bit much. Of course. But then again, I think it'll be fine because I think it always works out. (laughs) It does work out. And you've just got to keep in touch with what you enjoy about the whole experience. And I think the minute it feels like you're measuring yourself against, you know, in terms of the work you take on, you're aiming to get somewhere, as opposed to taking on projects that keep you excited, then you lose yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because then you're trying to chase something and you lose touch with your creative urge. Yeah, and that's, that's why... My, that's my, how I look at it. Well, that's why I'm always trying to be doing different things and also just to make sure that I don't really do anything unless I believe in the creative behind it. Like, I'm not going to just do something for the sake of it or for the money for uh, that matter either. So in that sense, I'm always kind of enjoying what I'm doing. You're listening to the Louis Theroux podcast only on Spotify. Hi, me again, Louis Theroux. Just to remind you, you're listening to the Louis Theroux podcast. And now back to my conversation with Amelia de Moldenberg. What were you in LA for? I met with loads of different production companies. I have a big audience now in America because of Chicken Shop Day and there's a big appetite there for me and I would love to spend more time in America. You mentioned that the pressure that you put on yourself and that creating some anxiety. I've also read that you said that you've always been very ambitious. Yeah. You were very young. You wanted to be the editor of Vogue. Yeah, I did. And you were 10 when you wrote for Newsround online. Mm. You wrote an article about the film classification system. Yeah, thrilling. Where do you think your ambition and your drive comes from? I've just always wanted to, like, impress people. I can't tell you where exactly it's come from, but I guess maybe originally it's been to impress my parents. And maybe everything comes from that. And I've never been, like, that great at school. Like, I was never the star student at school. I was always very, like, average. And I think that I always thought that I needed to excel in different areas if I wanted to make something of myself, that it wasn't going to be through like math, science or English. It was going to be through doing something separate. Do you suffer from anxiety? Yeah, definitely. But I really do think that I have been getting better at it recently. And I also think that for a long time, I felt like I was climbing up, trying to make something of myself or trying to show that I was talented or trying to make chicken shop date something. And now I really feel like it is at a level that I'm really happy with and that a lot of my ambitions I've fulfilled. So in that sense, I do feel a lot more chilled i was gonna say you could fall under a bus tomorrow all right okay hopefully not exactly god forbid like we pray that it doesn't happen yeah but if you did you could be squashed flat by the bus your head could blow up like a watermelon okay that's enough and you would have a body of work that you'd leave behind yeah that's a very reassuring thought that i would be to die with yeah that's what i will be thinking when my head is in too many and your dad would be in charge of cleaning cleaning it it up he would. That's awful. That's horrible. Yeah, that's horrible. But kind of cool. No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I'm really proud of all of that work, especially with Chicken Shop Day. It's a really original format that isn't like anything else, and I really feel like it's one of a kind. I'm really proud of it. Any inspirational words of advice? No, that now I'm worried about my lack of being able to give inspiration because... You said that time when I was in the podcast. Can I couldn't use think my of any line. inspiration. You say the one about take your disability I don't like saying inspirational things because I find them so cliche and cringe. And also, I think it's so... Or dif- maybe you've got nothing to... No, you know, I also think that say. everyone is so different. So one person's word of inspiration... Use my line about your not. disability might be your superpower. Your disability? What you think is... Sorry, weakness. <laughs> weakness. But what does that mean? It means that if you're slightly awkward and you find social situations unintentionally cringe, yeah, no. then do a whole format about that. Or if you can't do, cook, do a format about not being able to cook. That's what I have been doing. I actually have been using your advice 
actually throughout my whole career That's to my use point. to use my weakness. Or you could say that the media landscape's changed so much. You off the back of we haven't said this, off the back of a magazine, like a community magazine based yeah. out of where was it? Royal Oak. North Royal West Oak, Northwest London, London, where you were seventeen. You were seventeen, but what I were you doing? When I was there? 16. What were you doing there? We made a magazine. We could write about whatever we wanted. There was a paid for by the council. Yeah. And the Prince's Trust. And the Prince's Trust. And actually, I would love to start something like that again. I think that would be so... Like the magazine. Yeah, it's like it was such an incredible place where so many young people were able to basically create their own portfolio of work and to like start something of their own separate to their studies at school. Maybe they weren't enjoying or weren't excelling at for whatever reason. And actually, like it really paved the way for so many people to actually get a start in their careers. And I think that bringing back to the previous conversation we were saying about access and privilege like stuff like that like community-based magazines where young people can come and actually create work for themselves and build their own brand for example is a way to level the playing field that's my word of inspiration that's your inspiration yeah my inspiration is is actually there should be more funding for young people more youth services because i really feel like that is the way to make a difference Open the youth centres. Are they not open anymore? Since 2010, youth services have been cut drastically. So much so, like the youth centre that I was at doesn't exist anymore. So many of them since 2010. That's why there's so many other issues within communities and societies is because I always always think everything comes back down to supporting young people. There we go. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It was a pleasure speaking to Amelia and chewing the chicken, if I can put it that way, and learning about how much of her work has been created painstakingly over the years. I mean, I think I already knew that, but just to see it up close, the sense of her creating her own destiny out there with her team, outside of the normal citadels of culture. And it's probably a bellwether for how things are going to change and continue to change. I owe her, I think I said this, but I'll say it again, I owe her an enormous debt of gratitude for bringing me to the attention of her audience and specifically Jiggle Jiggle, which has not hundreds of millions, but I think billions of streams and views. That's no exaggeration. And in a certain way, changing my life. For many people, maybe even until the day I croak, I'll be mainly known, you know, if I am known as the the Jiggle Jiggle guy. And I think I'm fine with that. It definitely beats being known as the guy who failed to get to the truth about Jimmy Savile. Amelia did actually send me a question as to, you know, what would you have asked if you'd had a chance to ask me a question? Oh, yes, here we go. Do you find the podcast format lends itself to a more revealing interview? And can you get more from someone over two hours in a recording studio than following them around with a camera for weeks? Kind of, yes. I used to say when I made documentaries that the truth comes out in the car, meaning you could be on location and not be getting very much, but if you do a long car journey with a contributor, with a person you're interviewing, just the proximity and the sort of the sense that there's nothing else to distract you meant that you would be able to explore the deepest questions and the most interesting, most intimate kind of content. And that's sort of what a podcast is, really. It's a static car journey. You can follow someone for many days and not get a whole lot of anything because you're always in motion. You know, you're not actually getting to answer the questions that you're really interested in. Well, that was the answer. This podcast was produced by Paul Kobrak and Marn Al-Yazari. The production manager was Francesca Bassett and the executive producer is Aaron Fellows. The music in this series is by Miguel de Oliveira. This is a Mindhouse production exclusively for Spotify. Louis, can we do a, a picture? Yeah. Can I do a TikTok with you? Yeah. But it's, it's not a dance, don't worry about it.